Hello everybody and welcome back to Witch Fix. Today I'm going to be looking at another autobiography. I've been getting into quite a few of those lately. Um, they're quite interesting. It's really nice to read about the, you know, the life and experiences of someone practicing Wicca or witchcraft and also it kind of circumvents that whole thing I have with Wicca 101 books where it's just like a lot of them tend to just put forth the author's way as the only way whereas an autobiography is different because they are talking about their personal beliefs and not telling you that those beliefs are the only correct way to do things i tend to get just get along with them better and enjoy reading them a lot more also they allow the author i guess to put in like more personal stories and experiences and i find those genuinely more interesting than just reading exercises about how to learn about magic because those can be just a little bit boring when you've read a lot of them so with that in mind today's book is merry meet again by deborah lip the subtitle is lessons life and love on the path of a wiccan high priestess i didn't know anything about this book when i purchased it it just came up randomly when i was looking on ebay for other stuff and i thought oh that sounds interesting i do like a uh, an autobiography i just finished witch amongst us so i was ready for another similar book and just the price was right the time was right this book became my property so the back cover says as a third degree gardenarian high priestess and a former wife of celebrated druid isaac bonewitz deborah lip's life story is far from ordinary but marry me again is more than just a memoir it is a tribute to modern paganism and a testament to one woman's persistence and strength with deep reverence for the past lip explores her spiritual path and describes her unique relationship with family teachers lovers and friends including icons such as scott cunningham and timothy leary she details the ups and downs of pagan parenting and delves into the politics and personalities the joys and sorrows that are found in pagan gatherings around the world simple instructions and quick tips for ritual spells and magic are included throughout now those quick tips are generally like one thing at the end of each chapter so there's maybe about 14 of them so by no means is it, is it a book that is teaching you how to do magic having said that it is a really good read and i've just finished it and really really enjoyed it it's about 300 pages long and uh, starts right from the beginning uh, from the author's childhood right up until i guess time of writing uh, when the book came out um so let's get into it shall we now the first chapter talks very much about um the author's childhood their early pagan leanings how they reached out for spirituality uh, by looking at the natural world by looking at, at greek myths about their background uh, their jewish family um their father and his sort of countercultural hippie leanings uh, and various other sort of personal things it doesn't really get into obviously her practice as a wiccan because she hasn't found that yet but it was still very interesting and i kind of recognized in it a lot of stuff that i experienced when i was younger um being brought up in a christian family trying to find my faith and belief in that framework then realizing that didn't really work uh, and didn't really satisfy what it was that i was looking for and then be becoming more enamored with nature and just the whole world around me and that leading me sort of towards paganism so that was very familiar and it was kind of nice to read about that personal journey of someone else and then at the end of chapter one there is um how to perform a consecration which i actually found really interesting it was one of the things that i'd sort of allowed to fall by the wayside um i do consecrate new ritual tools when i get them but in this section she does talk about consecrating basically all ingredients that you use in spell work dedicating them to a specific purpose and i recently tried on the back of reading it in the book to 
reintroduce that into my practice, sharpen things up a little bit. And that is a general feeling that persisted throughout the book is that um, through reading it, I was rediscovering things that I hadn't really done since the start of my practice when it was very, very Wiccan, which I did miss and which I feel have lapsed out of my magic and made it feel less uh, effective. So it was nice to go back over this and have those things explained again in a, such an easy to read way that didn't really feel like I was being taught, but felt like uh, she was just, just discussing her own practice and what she did. And it was inspiring enough that I wanted to do it as well as opposed to if I had read a book that told me that was the only thing that you can do to make your magic effective, in which case I probably would have breezed past that while raising my middle finger. Another aspect I really liked about the book is the way it talks about the pagan community like in the 80s. Uh, it kind of reminded me of the Rosemary Edgehill book, um, the Bast series, um, but like the Speak Daggers to her um, Bell book and murder anthology, um, because it's talking about this kind of side of the community which I've never experienced because I'm not American and I wasn't alive in the 80s so it has that kind of weird retro vintage kind of historical aspect to it which I was really fascinated by and enjoyed reading uh, I think one of the first Wiccans she makes contact with in the in her sort of narrative of her life is a guy who she only finds by chance because he's written into the letter pages of a Doctor Strange comic book to talk about how that comic has changed and now includes elements that are akin to paganism and that's how she finds it and it's like this kind of pre-internet networking which I just found really interesting and enjoyable to read about. On page 51 um, the author actually explains something that I've never previously seen explained into, in a book which is how libations work. A lot of the books that I've read uh, have rituals in them where they're like and now you pour libations and offer them to the gods or a step like that or now perform the rite of wine and cakes and they don't really go into like how that's done or the rules behind it or why that would work the way it does but she does set out actual disciplines to do with the offering of libations which i'm just going to read to you because i found it very interesting everything that we consume in sacred space is given first to the gods they are our honored guests and it is rude to drink before offering your honored guests a drink from the principle that the gods get the first of everything the following logic flows only new food and drink are used unopened bottles uncut cakes and so forth are proper offerings open food or drink cannot be brought into a circle the first of everything means that when a bottle is first opened the first sip from that bottle is poured out to the gods the first of everything means that the first time you personally drink even from a bottle that has already been offered from you first pour a libation to the gods the first of everything means the first time you use a cup you first pour a libation to the gods. So if everyone shares from the altar cup, then everyone pours because it's each person's first sip. Then if everyone fills an individual cup, everyone pours again because that cup has not yet been offered from. Libations are for the gods and the dead. To toast a living person, raise your glass, but do not pour. So some of that seems a little bit persnickety and obviously um, refers to like group work where like either everyone in like a coven has a chalice and that seems a little bit complicated. But the idea of it being like an unopened bottle that you have to bring into circle with you and then the first part of it is offered gives it kind of a more structured look than just, oh, just find a glass of anything and put it on the altar, which to me has never really felt like that special. I mean, I do have uh, a bottle of mead that I use for offerings, and a lot of that tends to just be an offering, even though the bottle's been open for quite a while now. 
Um, but I like the idea of using like a new bottle, at least not just using a dusty old bottle of plonk that has been half drunk and hidden in a cupboard for months on end. Um, so I, I kind of liked the, the structure it was bringing into it. And in fact, one of the things that I quite liked about the book was that it made Gardenarian Wicker seem attractive in a way that it had never seemed to me before. Uh, I've basically always been a solitary practitioner and my only interactions with Gardenarians online, or I should say people who claim to be Gardenarians, because I have no way of validating their claims, have always been kind of negative and they all just say like oh you can't properly be Wiccan because you're not lineaged to a coven that could trace its roots back to Gerard Gardner and you're like okay but at the same time what's happening here we're all speaking the same language we're all trying to worship the same gods so I don't really understand why it matters but her book is refreshingly tolerant of solitary practitioner, uh, solitary practitioners, doesn't really look down on them. She does take initiations seriously and um, obviously keeps her oath of secrecy throughout. So it doesn't tell you a lot of stuff that happens in the coven. But at the same time, it's more open than I've ever heard anyone else be when talking about it, because it doesn't feel like she's trying to self-aggrandize through keeping it so mysterious. She's just keeping back what she has to but basically explaining about everything else. So that was pretty refreshing and nice to read. Following on the heels from that, I like that when the author's talking about her experiences, um, visions that she's had of people who have died or who are perhaps about to die, or experiences with the goddess, they're referred to as things that happened to her in trance state or dreams that she had and then interpreted. There's no kind of idea that she was walking down the street and then a one-eyed man at a bus stop came to her and was like oh I'm Odin and I have a message for you it's all very um believable stuff it's all stuff that kind of rang true with my own experiences of practice and not like oh well I saw an aura come off a person and turn into a cat and then run through a door and then I opened that door and oh look what was inside it's basically all rooted in reality it is the magical working through the mundane which is as I said, very close to my own experiences. So I appreciated that and it made reading the book easier because I didn't feel the need to roll my eyes a lot at inflated fantastical occurrences that I couldn't really believe in. I'm going to trigger one here just uh, for a minor discussion of um, possible statutory rape because there was something that confused me a little bit and it was in chapter 7, uh, pages 80 and 81 if you have the same edition that I do uh, and it's basically a story that the author tells about going to a convention uh, I think it's Esotericon 1986 and meeting a guy and then sleeping with him and then finding out uh, by discovering his driving license that he's not as old as he claimed to be and he's actually only 17. Now I'm very clearly British and I don't know anything about like the age of consent in America which I briefly googled and apparently it varies by what part of America you are in which is not helpful because it doesn't say in the book that I could find where this convention was taking place. And I also Googled it, but couldn't find anything on Google about the location of this convention in 1986, which is, not, you know, not surprising. Um, so I found it weird reading it because obviously in the UK, our age of consent is 16, obviously makes this story not a problem. But I know that in a lot of places in America, it is 18. And I found it a slightly weird that she would include a story in which she has basically, unknowingly or not, which isn't actually an excuse under the law, committed statutory rape. So I'm assuming that either the age of consent was 17 or 
maybe 16, wherever this story took place, or it is actually statutory rape and she just didn't think about that when she put it in the book. But either way, I thought I would mention it because it did seem a big thing to leave out when I was talking about this book, Um, especially because she does mention also that she has met um, the Frosts and doesn't like seem to um, have a problem with them. And you might remember I did a review on one of their books a while ago where I talked about some of the dodgy stuff that they included in their books. Uh, It's on page 125 at the bottom and it just says about the relationship Isaac who is her second husband, had with Gavin Frost, who's his mentor. Um, so, And they also are invited to attend some of their events, which, again, I'm not saying means anything, but it just stuck in my mind. So with all of that being in literally this chapter, like a couple of pages apart from this story, it stuck in my mind and it felt like something that I should mention. I'm by no means making any accusations, but I just wanted to make you aware in case you decided to read this book and then thought, hang on a minute, Sarah recommended this book and there's some weird stuff in it. So um, I just thought I'd mention that before you get to that point and have some serious questions. Now, I said that um, because this is an autobiography, uh, I didn't really feel the same issues that I have with some other books that tell you that there is only one way to do things because the author just lays things out and says, this is so, this is the rules, this is how this works, um, which you may not feel is the case and you may not believe is the case. There is some of that in this book because the author does write about different practices that they have and doesn't necessarily frame it in a way that is just, this is what I believe. Um, But for the most part, it is easy to get past. And it was interesting to see, like, to go from pages where that was happening. So also reading about um, the author's marriage to her second husband because he practices a completely different tradition to her and then they live together and work magically together and also raise a child. So it was interesting to see those traditions kind of balance each other and see how they interacted, uh, which was more than enough compensation for moments where I was reading things and going, I don't really believe that that is true and I'm not really prepared to accept it. Um, So I think it sort of takes and gives and in the end it ends up on sort of an even keel in terms of implying that certain things are just factual and saying that this is just a personal belief. The author speaks once specifically about self-initiation on uh, page 120-121 of chapter 9, which says, What about self-initiation? The angry argument that it is just as valid as a traditional initiation has no meaning unless you define the word valid. If valid means sacred to the gods, then that's between you and the gods, and no one can say you nay. If valid means of Gardnerian lineage, initiated by a Gardnerian who is initiated by a Gardnerian and so on, back to Gardner, then obviously a self-initiation is a different animal entirely. If valid means having acquired certain skills and undergone certain experiences, then a self-initiate may or may not qualify, but clearly cannot be accepted as qualified without further exploration. So I kind of half agree with this, and I took some time to just sort of roll this over in my mind, because I have previously gotten into a massive argument with someone when I was talking about a ritual that I performed from a book, uh, this was quite a long time ago, uh, which was a self-initiation ritual, and they declared point blank that it is impossible to initiate yourself. Which, if you're talking about being initiated into Garden Area and Wicca, into a coven, then obviously you can't initiate yourself. Um, But I do feel like a lot of these things, sometimes the words get used in a lot of different ways and people just end up arguing because they have different definitions, which I think is what she's talking about here. 
So I agree that if you're just initiating yourself to the practice of witchcraft or um, to the practice of solitary wicca to the gods, then that's generally just between you and the gods and what other people have to say about it is not here or there. The thing I disagree with is that last statement where she says that someone who's self-initiated cannot be said to have undergone certain experiences or acquired certain skills. Because from what I sort of read in the book, there's no real guarantee that someone who's been initiated into a coven necessarily has those skills. Because she talks about how sometimes there's like a pagan way, which is like an entry group where they train you a little bit and then you join a coven and are initiated but you still know some stuff and then there are some people who are just initiated and then they start to learn so it doesn't seem that there is any like qualification universally between covens that says someone of this degree will know these things um and equally there's nothing that says that after a number of years of solitary practice you will know all this stuff someone who's only been practicing for like two years but has read like fifty thousand books and gone to a lot of open circles and talked to a lot of people it's probably going to know more than someone who has read two books in 25 years of practice so i think it's an interesting idea to talk about and again one of those interesting ideas that was raised in this book the difference between and i can definitely after reading this see that there is value in that traditional method of initiation to a coven and being trained but at the same time i do feel like a lot of the time the self-initiated solitary practitioners just given a little bit of flack and are basically assumed to not know anything when that isn't necessarily true. On page 141 there's another nice thought-provoking section. Uh, basically her group work quite a large piece of healing magic that then the target of that magic says they didn't feel work and it doesn't seem to have done anything and she writes I was shocked. I felt it work. I had never felt that way and then discovered a spell didn't work. The whole damn world was working magic at the same time. How could it not work? I had to face a great deal of self-doubt. Could I continue working spells knowing this one had somehow failed? Did I need a 100% success rate in order to trust the work I did? Doctors don't have a 100% success rate and don't give up medicine when the patient doesn't get well. Yet magicians work with intuition and I felt it work. How could I reconcile that? I agonised over these questions for many months. I continued to practice witchcraft, to teach, to cast circles and to invoke the gods. Yet I had no answers. Finally, I concluded that I didn't need answers. I just needed to know what I knew, that magic works. And like the doctor with the ailing patient, continue in spite of its imperfections. As someone who has just had a major spell just fall flat as a pancake and not work, this was quite comforting reading and it did definitely put me at ease and also help me to put things into perspective because like she says you can be a doctor you can train and know all these things and try and do your very best work but for some mysterious reasons sometimes people just don't get better and then other times they do miraculously just get better even when doctors have said this person's not going to make it and i don't think as witches that we need to be able to point to every single piece of spell work we've ever done and say this was a roaring success it's okay to have failures as long as you look at them and think why did this go wrong and if you can find an answer that's great and sometimes you know maybe it just wasn't the right time or there was some ineffable reason that meant that it didn't work but that's no reason to not try again um, and hopefully have better results around pages like 180 to 185 uh, the author starts talking about her son and his diagnosis uh, with adhd and eventually with being on the autistic spectrum 
Um, I'm not autistic and so I don't know if this would come across as offensive to readers who did have autism or knew someone who did like their own child um, but there were several moments during this where I thought this might cause some slight offence uh, specifically when um, she talks about taking him to the doctor and having him looked at and the doctors keep insisting he's normal but normal isn't in like quote marks so it's the kind of designation of neurotypical as being normal which I thought could potentially be offensive and therefore I'm mentioning it in case again you get to that part and think that I've recommended a book without being fully aware that some bits of it might be potentially offensive because I definitely had that thought and then thought I'm probably not the best person to be deciding if this is offensive or not but I'm just gonna note it. Again another thing that I kind of felt was a little bit strange and odd and one of those things that came under the heading of beliefs that were kind of stated as facts was on page 196 and it says in heterosexual intercourse the natural energy flow between partners who have a good connection is down from the man's head out through his penis in through the woman's vagina and up to her head understanding this flow is the beginning of improving your sex life so again that's just randomly stated as fact um without really any kind of explanation as to why this is a thought but just the idea of the energy being generated by the man's mind and then like going out of his body and into the woman's mind just seemed just a little bit unequal maybe potentially a teeny bit sexist definitely didn't appeal to me and it was sort of stated as fact so I wasn't necessarily into that um and kind of wish it had been more framed as a personal belief and not just as something that she says as if it's true for everyone when she might well believe that but obviously other people won't. Overall and despite those little niggles and gripes that I thought I'd mention I did very much enjoy this book. Um, Deborah Lip who's obviously the author is very good at writing both non-fiction and obviously semi-fictionalised events of her own life because I'm assuming that she wasn't carrying a dictaphone around recording conversations that she was having so she's obviously had to like recount them and make them make sense in the narrative that she has put the events of her life into if you see what I mean so it's really good non-fiction uh, it's really charmingly written I really enjoyed most of it going through it you know just with her voice as a writer and a lot of the things she said about Wicca were kind of eye-opening to me even though I've read quite a lot about it and practiced it as a solitary for a while it really made me think back on those times differently and reassess some of the things that I've dropped from my practice which is really nice obviously if you've come from a Wiccan practice even if you're not practicing now this book still has value for you I think it's interesting to look at someone else's life where they've gone through experiences similar to yours and practiced a religion that you also practiced I just find that interesting to look at and compare and contrast those experiences um, and just learn a little bit about them and a little bit about someone else's practice. So it doesn't really matter that obviously I'm not completely 100% Wiccan now and have no intention to be. It's just interesting to read about someone else's life uh, and how all that works. So even if you're not a Wiccan and have never been, I still think there's some value in reading this book just because it talks about like the pagan community and that historical aspect of it is also really interesting and generally I just hadn't really read another book like it and therefore it really sticks out as one which I would be excited to recommend. Uh, so do let me know if you've checked 
this one out previously. She has also written a number of just straight up non-fiction books which aren't to do with her life. They're just books about practicing wicker or magic. Um, so if you've read those and think they're worth a go, let me know because uh, I have them in my watch list on eBay and I'm waiting for an excuse to buy them. And I will need very little convincing. So you can do that in the normal ways email or via twitter just check the description box below and remember that you can always get in touch about basically anything that you want to recommend or add a book to the listopia list on goodreads there's a, a link for that in the description below as well i believe and uh, in the meantime i will see you in the next one bye